Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives. In today's topic, I get to combine two passions of mine, the holistic power of music and holistic health and wellness. Joining me today from Barcelona, Spain, through the wonders of technology, is Patricia Caicedo. Patricia is a medical doctor and has a PhD in musicology. She's a multifaceted artist, scholar, and soprano. She's a fellow podcaster. She has performed in venues worldwide and has recorded 11 CDs. She's published 10 books. Her most recent book was published just a few months ago. It's titled, We Are What We Listen To, The Impact of Music on Individual and Social Health. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Patricia. Thank you very much, Mindy. I'm very happy to be here. Well, in your book, you refer to wellness as an optimum state, a subjective state that reflects the level of satisfaction we have in different aspects of life. You reference the National Wellness Institute's Bill Hetler, who categorizes wellness into six main dimensions, physical, social, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and occupational. And wellness is about achieving balance in these six dimensions. When it comes to this balance, you use the word homeostasis in your book, which I love that word. Can you elaborate on this term homeostasis, what it means in medicine, and also what you would consider personal homeostasis? Yes, when we are talking about homeostasis in in medicine, we are referring to equilibrium, to balance, up to a perfect state where all the organs and systems are balanced, function in its better possible way. So this is in the way that I'm referring to in in the book. This is an aspira- aspirational state where we could arrive. Well, I love that word because I personally really have a craving for balance in my life. And I don't know if all of us have that or not, but I really feel it when I'm out of balance in any way. And it was fun to see sort of these six categories spelled out like that. In medicine, I believe that homeostasis is used with sort of biological implications in the medical realm, how is the word homeostasis used and what does it mean? So most of the times uh, when medical doctors refer to that are referring to the functions, to physiology, to all the functions of the body. But I would like to expand that concept to one that includes the biopsychosocial aspects of the human being, so not only contemplating the human being as a machine, a biological machine, but also as we are a social beings and we are also a psychological being. So the homeostasis mm-hmm. at the end of the day is the right balance of all these aspects. Love that. And I, I love your interdisciplinary approach to wellness and to, to health in this way. Just one more thing, back to the medical piece of things. Would you say that 
illness occurs when there's a lack of homeostasis? Yes, actually, this is a good definition of illness because when there is no equilibrium, when we are not balanced, when there is something that is out of, if I could say, out of place or displaced, uh, is when the symptoms appear. That could be mm-hmm. psychological symptoms or relational symptoms or in the way that we relate to others or also physical symptoms that are calling us and the symptoms actually are the ways in which our body reached to us, calling the attention to tell us that something is out of balance, that we have to mm-hmm. address that. Mm-hmm. So in my very simplistic way of distilling this down from a medical perspective, to me, that means a lack of homeostasis results in inflammation, which then results in in illness. Would that be fair to say? Yes. uh, When this balance, because for people to understand this homeostasis, I don't know if I'm saying it right because of my language. is This my second language. But when we are out of balance is when the symptom appears. And not only an inflammation, but any symptom in the different illnesses, because the illness appears when the physiological balance is affected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that disruption. Disruption, exactly. That's the word. There are so many wonderful facets of music and health that you discuss in the book. Some of them we have covered on the show. So I'm going to sort of steer our conversation uh, more toward the aspects in your book that really caught my attention that we have not yet addressed on the show. And we're going to be talking about the role that music plays in maintaining or bringing back homeostasis in each of these dimensions of wellness. If we look first at that physical dimension, let's talk about some of the ways that music can play a role in bringing about homeostasis physically. You mentioned in the book that music can have a positive impact on immunity. Can you talk to us and elaborate a bit on that? Yes, there are many, many positive effects of music in the body. The vibration itself is a way in which our body is, in, in a way, if we could say, tuned. Because there are recent discoveries that in some scientists with nano microscopic, they have seen the cells, the smaller part of our body, the cell, vibrates and produces a sound and this sound Mm. is different in illness and in health so when the smallest particle of the body that is the cell vibrates and produces a sound also the organs produce sounds the whole body vibrates so when we listen to music Music has the effect of, um, for example, uh, in brain level, it enhances the production of certain neurotransmitters that contribute to us feeling happier or better, also doing, as you say, to enhance our immunity because the, the body functions better. There are many neurotransmitters that I mentioned in the book that have different effects that are liberated when we are listening to music or on when we are excited 
for example, uh, when we receive the rhythmic stimulus of music that we dance and we exchange this music with other people also when we dance in group or we sing in a, in a group, in a choral singing, for example, there are certain uh, neurotransmitters like the oxytocin that are, is liberated that not only is good for our immunity but also for affiliating us to others and making us feel closer to other people, for example. So there are many levels in which music impacts positively the brain in different areas of the brain. Yeah, it really is hard sometimes to separate these different dimensions out from one another because, as you mentioned, the emotional aspect of music is so closely tied to some of these physical attributes and and the ability of music to enhance our emotional well-being does have direct influence on our physical immunity. That's so fascinating what you're saying too about the cells and the organs vibrating. It's almost like our cells and organs are creating their own symphony (laughs) with their, their own vibrations. Before we leave that physical realm, I just want to point out that your book talks about how the use of music can alleviate pain and reduce the need for Mm painkillers. It can increase relaxation Mm -hmm. and those physiological effects can be measured with changes in blood pressure, breathing, digestion. One final thing that I just wanted to bring up that was really fascinating was on this topic, you mentioned that neuroimaging scans such as PET and fMRI show evidence that listening to music that we like activates the same regions of the brain as those activated when we experience euphoria, when we experience erotic stimuli, or when we eat chocolate. Yes. And many people refer to the sensation of goosebumps caused by music as a musical orgasm. Tell us more about that. Yes, I was interested in learning why the goosebumps were, as you mentioned, I remember when I started singing, I was a small girl, and people many times said, oh, when you sing, I, I my, 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 I has uh, goosebumps, and I didn't know what is happening. So is there are many studies in, that demonstrate that the same neuroways, uh, pathways in the brain that produce pleasure, as you mentioned, for erotic stimulus or, for example, when we do something that we like very much or something that the pleasure and the emotion and music are connected. So some the same pathways are shared. So this is also interesting to know because it means that we could consciously use the music stimulus to achieve these uh, mental states, to feel pleasure, to feel emotion, to be happy, to have pleasant feelings. Yeah, well, that is so fascinating. Well, let's talk a little bit about the emotional facet, because it is so tied, it seems, to the physical. And you've already touched on it a couple times. One thing that I thought was really fascinating that you point out in the book is that emotional pain is something that we all experience. It can't really be measured and it's even more complex than physical pain. And I I hadn't really thought about it like that, but 
It's so true. I mean, we all have different physical pain tolerances and respond differently to different negative stimulus that causes pain. And in the same way, we all have different emotional pain tolerances. And it is so subjective, we can't really evaluate it, measure it, compare it. But we all experience it at some point. And music is really effective in addressing emotional pain. Talk to us a little bit about music's use in that realm. Pain is a very complex concept because it's a phenomenon that is a multidimensional and also is something very rooted to the culture and the processes of learning we have experienced because we also learn to express our pain culturally. One aspect that in the whole book I wanted to maintain, I don't know if you notice, but I wanted to always, yes, even when I'm talking about the physiological, biological aspects of how music affects us, always having in mind that we are cultural beings, that we live in a context. The culture in which we live, the historical moment, also determines how we experience music and all other stimulus and how we experience and how we express pain. One interesting thing is that music through history have been used to elaborate mourning, to accompany people when they lose somebody they love, when they experience the death of loved ones. On an individual level and also in a social level, music appears in those moments as a tool to heal ourselves, to express the mourning. It's like a companion music and also mm-hmm. a way of expressing our most deepest feelings. Yeah, so that outlet for expression and the sense that I'm not alone in this can make even sad music feel good, which we've we've had an episode on that phenomenon too. Well, you point out in the book, this I found this fascinating too, that although music is able to produce a wide range of emotions, it's primarily the positive emotional states that are prompted and triggered and produced by music. So not wrath and irritation and boredom, not those feelings, but more the feelings of amazement, tenderness, nostalgia, peace, power, joy. And like I said, even that tension and sadness is more of a nostalgic longing type of a feeling that feels positive, even though we tend to think of sadness and tension as negative emotions. So that was really, really fascinating to me. Yes, music is associated mainly with positive feelings, even as you mentioned, when we are listening to sad music, or in a sad moment of our life, music contributes for the catharsis to for expressing and getting out the things that are making us sad so have a positive impact and also music when we practice music we achieve mental states very similar to what the researcher of happiness teaching inside described as flow that are moments in which you are really connected with what we are doing and we lose the sensation of of time passing. We are completely Mm. concentrated. We are challenged by an activity, but at the same time, we know that we can achieve it and we can do it well. So 
this gives us a sensation of happiness and uh, also meaning of life. There are many studies that show that, for example, musicians or people who in all age practice music in groups, they experience more happiness and they because they feel that their life has a meaning. And this meaning also is the result of feeling that they are part of a community and they are practicing music with others, not because they want to be the best musicians in the world, but because they want to share, communicate, be part of a group and not feeling isolated. So music mm. is like a glue, social wow. glue. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that all of those things that you described, I mean, music bringing meaning, even to sadness, music bringing a state of flow, music reducing stress and anxiety and depression, all of those things and increasing happiness. You quote some studies that show that listening to music really does increase happiness. So all of those things make perfect sense to me that if you're experiencing that, it would positively impact your physical health as well. Thank you to our sponsor, Sheet Music Direct. Sheet Music Direct is the world's premier destination for digital sheet music. It's powered by sheet music publisher, Hale Leonard. I have used Sheet Music Direct for probably 10 years, and it has saved me countless hours of driving to music stores and sifting through bins of sheet music and books to find the right song and hoping the perfect song isn't out of stock. Sheet Music Direct's library has more than 1 million sheet music arrangements that you can view and listen to right from your device for convenient online shopping and immediate downloads of educational, classical, and pop scores that represent just about any genre and holiday. Prices start at 99 cents, and you can both print your purchases instantly and access them on any device, which has really come in handy for our family when we're out of state visiting grandma and grandpa, and they want to hear my kids play the piano. Access the latest hits and yesterday's classics at sheetmusicdirect.com. Let's talk a little bit about the social aspect of music, the role that music plays in our social dimension and how that contributes to wellness. That's interesting because before being social, meaning being part of a group of a community, we are an individual. And music is an identity marker, very strong. It plays an important role, a very important role in the conformation of our identity. I think the listeners can relate to to this when they think that there are songs that define uh, a generation or songs that they feel they identify with because there were the songs or the music of their youth or the music of their mm-hmm. teen university years or yeah. uh, infancy. So music is a is an identity marker and it's also a social marker. It affiliates us to a set of values, uh, to a social group, to a country, to a historical moment. So it is like a mirror in which we can project ourselves and our values. That's why the title of the book says We Are What We Listen To is in the sense that when we learn what music somebody listened to, we can at least have some clue of 
where these people is coming are coming from or the social context etc etc et the the age so music is very attached to our identity but when this identity encounters another identity it means in the social encounter in the social interaction music becomes this as i mentioned before this glue that mm-hmm. it creates a bridge to arrive to the other to share with the others when we are making music together as i mentioned before there is oxytocin that is liberated this hormone that before we thought that was only liberated when the mom was feeding the her baby mm. that mm-hmm. creates this bond of mother and son so this same a neurotransmitter is liberated when people are singing together, for example, mm. or participating in a music ritual together. Because yeah. we, we don't think that, that the parties where we go are rituals because we assign that word ritual probably to something old or antique. But no, we are surrounded by rituals every day. And participating mm-hmm. in a party together when we are singing together or dancing, this is a social ritual that is creating these bonds between people. Yeah. Well, and rituals bring comfort too. And as you mentioned, it brings this sense of belonging, which is such an antidote to loneliness. Loneliness is such a horrible experience and such a horrible feeling. And music brings us together. It's a shared language that we have in common, even if we don't have much else in common with people. It gives us that sense of belonging. And for sure, in the last couple of years, with all of the quarantines and isolation that have been a part of this pandemic, a lot of people have experienced loneliness, and that for sure impacts your physical health and well-being. And so it, it's, it's wonderful to have something like music that is non-pharmacological, it's non-intrusive, it's available to pretty much all of us, and can help mitigate some of those effects of loneliness. You point out in the book that humans' first social interactions are musical, if we consider the lullaby. And you touched on that, how those lullabies can affect hormones and chemicals, the release of things like oxytocin, vasopressin, cortisol, that influence attachment, trust, and affection between the mother and the child that I, I kind of associate with physical contact and maybe breastfeeding, but you point out in the book that singing lullabies and singing together in groups really affects those chemicals and hormones as well. Yes. So music has an impact physically, as we are mentioning now, for the changes that it creates in, in the brain and in the body, but it has an effect psychological effect, very powerful, not only when we listen to music, but when we make music. Making music is a very powerful brain exercise that demands the coordination of many areas of the brain simultaneously. So it's like a a very strong exercise for the brain. For example, if I'm singing and playing the guitar at the same time, I'm coordinating many cognitive functions that are very complex. Like uh, That's why music is, in cognitive terms, is multimodal. Because at the same time, many processes, complex processes are happening. So this is like a very demanding exercise for for the brain that keeps 
the brain, I could say, young. And the benefits of music could be received at any age. Yeah, and that was such a perfect bridge to talking about the intellectual effects of music on our health and well-being. And you've just mentioned several amazing ones. I mean, just the cognitive stimulation and protective factor on our the aging of our brains is, is so huge. And I'll, I'll for sure link to some episodes. We've had several episodes that address the cognitive benefits that we get through making music and just the protection on aging and dementia. You mentioned in the book so many of those wonderful benefits on the brain and cognitive function of music, including that interhemispheric communication between the hemispheres of the brain that are happening because making music is such a complex function and activity that involves so many different parts of the brain. The other dimensions that we haven't talked about so far are spiritual and occupational. Is there anything that you want to mention about either of those before we wrap up the time that we have together here? So I think that in in general, music in all our dimensions help us to achieve that homeostasis that you were mentioning at the beginning. And Mm -hmm. one aspect of this book that is also true, the whole book is the historical aspect. So because I wanted to give people the perspective of how this relationship between music and health has been always present since the beginning of the human being. So this... In the book, the reader will learn how this evolution of this relationship between music and medicine since the Paleolithic man, and Mesopotamia, medieval ages, Renaissance, etc., until now. So seeing this presence, also the importance of movement, meaning dance, because music and dance in many cultures and in from a brain perspective also are not separated are the same thing. Which makes more sense than separating them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell us about the exercises that you have at the end of your book. I love those. There are a few of them. The soundtrack of your life, your essence in music, where you create songs that express your essence, and soundscapes. Tell us just briefly about those exercises. Yes, when I was making the music, the book, it uh, it was challenging for me because I wanted to, first of all, write in an accessible way that everybody could read but also with scientific rigor so mm-hmm. it was this achieving this balance was challenging and also making it short comp- not too long so people could digest these concepts yeah well Easily. I think you did a great job of accomplishing that goal because I, I have no medical background and it was very easy for me to read and there are so many footnotes with references for further reading that there were many that I highlighted like oh man I need to check out these <laughs> references because that would be a great episode in and of itself so you did a great job of achieving that again balance between making it accessible to the layperson and yet also having that scientific rigor but thank go on, you. I, I interrupted there. <laughs> no, no, thank you. It makes me happy to hear that. And um, also, but at the end, when I just finished and I said, okay, this is the last chapter. There are 10 chapters. And I was about to end the book. And I said, no, no, but I should make something practical so people can engage more mm-hmm. and also can pass from theory to practice. 
because I have been the whole book telling them how important it is to incorporate this in your life, but how? So I decided to create these exercises that I think there will be fun to do for people. Like, first of all, to sit and reflect on those identity aspects that I mentioned. What is uh, the the most important songs from my my childhood or the music of my adolescence or the songs that mark different stages of my life. But although this is an exercise that appears to be more hedonistic or something with no purpose, it has a practical purpose because we mentioned in the book that many times when people have dementia or Alzheimer's, the only music or the only tool that arrives to their oldest memories is one of the only tools is the music from that they knew and that was meaningful to them. So in writing these soundtracks or, or playlists with the music we like, we are also preparing for old age for having these resources when we need them. Boy, that is a great point. That is so powerful because yeah, there there are some wonderful nonprofits out there that take advantage of this fact that our musical memory is the last to fade away. Mm-hmm. And we can have people with dementia and Alzheimer's who are virtually unresponsive, yet literally come alive when they hear music that they enjoyed from their youth. And it unfortunately isn't a cure and isn't doesn't last forever, but it can really engage their mind and have them communicative and talking with people for a couple hours. And yet I'm hearing that in a lot of these situations, their family members or loved ones don't know what music was important to them in their youth. So this exercise, I love that it really does have that dual purpose. Exactly. I was thinking that, okay, it's at least we, we advance the work for a music therapist or family member because this music is written down. We know exactly. Also, it's a beautiful exercise and it will bring us to different times and to remember people we love and experiences we have had but there is also an exercise that is related with one of the chapters that is talking about our musical autobiography how can we use music to think about who we are now and to think in who we what we would like to be if i don't know if i'm expressing that right because of the language mm-hmm. barrier yeah. but yeah and through music, through writing song lyrics, we don't have to be expert or professional musicians to do that, but we can write a lyric and perhaps put the music to it too. It's only uh-huh. for us. We don't have to go and sing uh, outside to the audience. But as a uh-huh. personal thing, writing a song to the person I am, to the person that I would like to be, that person I aspire to be, with the values that I aspire to have. So in writing this song or these lyrics for that, I'm being aware of where I am, where I would like to be, and also will reflect about how could I get there. So it's a very powerful psychological exercise and music helps us to put out all these things that sometimes we don't even pay attention to them or we don't find the time to think in these important things in for our role. Yeah, love that. Well, for listeners who want to consciously incorporate music 
into their everyday life to increase health and wellness and just that balanced life. I highly recommend this book and for sure the three exercises at the end, those those three projects I could see being really powerful and fun to do as well <laughs> and something that would be fun to share with whoever you want to share them with. Well, one quote that I want to sort of close with, a quote from your book is this, you say, knowing the impact that our corporal experiences and habits have on our health grants us an incredible power, but also a great responsibility. We can shape our brain with our actions, slow down the aging process, and live until an old age while maintaining good health. I just love that quote that puts the power in our hands and puts us in the driver's seat. We do have control over our our health to some extent. We're not totally at the mercy of our genetics, but there are things that we can do to influence that. So love that. Highly recommend your book. Thank you, Molly. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have a song or story that you can share with us today in closing? God, stories. I have many, 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 but we would need a lot of (laughs) episodes of this podcast because music has been instrumental in my life since I have memory. It's my best companion, my tool for healing myself. So I feel blessed to have music in my life. But I would like to share with the audience one of the songs of my newest CD. That is a CD very special because I wrote it. Um, I wrote the songs for the first time because during all my life I had been an, a performer and an interpreter and I sing the compositions of other composers, but never my own compositions. And during the pandemic, I start writing songs, setting to music the poems written by poets I like. So this is the last CD, and this song is called La Mala Suerte, The Bad Luck. But don't don't be confused by the title. It's, It's a beautiful poem written by a woman poet from Argentina called Eve Monges, and it's a song for voice and piano, La Mala Suerte.
And that is a little bit of La Mala Suerte, the bad luck. Thank you so much to Patricia for sharing this beautiful song with us today. You can listen to the full song by going to the show notes where we have the YouTube link posted. You'll also find links to Patricia's book, We Are What We Listen To, The Impact of Music on Individual and Social Health, as well as other ways to connect with her and her work, including her podcast. We referenced some related episodes in our conversation today, and links to those episodes are included as well. If you're a regular listener, you may have noticed that there was not an episode release last week. I decided to experiment with releasing episodes every other week for a little bit here. With the recent shifts in my job situation and some other things on my plate, all of which I love, I'm just trying to find the right balance. I really miss putting together an episode last week, but it did allow me to do some other projects that I'm also devoted to. So I'll experiment with this schedule frequency for a bit and see how that goes. One thing that I was doing last week was traveling for work. I was visiting schools in Western North Dakota. I had not been to that part of the state before, and it was really fun to see the contrast in the scenery. On one of my drives between schools, the scenery was endless prairies where it seemed like you could see for miles in any direction. And then all of a sudden it changed, and it was like being in the badlands of South Dakota, with those same formations. It was absolutely gorgeous. And in visiting the different schools that I went to, I was struck again by the bond and the connection that we all seem to have as musicians and music educators, music advocates. No matter what part of the country we are living in or are originally from, there's a real connection that comes from speaking this musical language in common and having that same goal in common of making the world a better place through music. Thank you so much for joining me today. All the links from today's episode, including a transcript of this episode, can be found in the show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 127. All links are also in the episode details right in your podcast app. While you're there, I would love to hear from you. Let me know how music impacts your wellness and homeostasis. You can reach me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.